Okay, this morning we have a Bible reading. It's John chapter 1, verses 35 to 51. So you can open your Bibles now and Janelle's going to read this to us. Thanks, Janelle. So John 1, 35 to 51. The following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, Look, there is the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Jesus looked around and saw them following. What do you want? He asked them. They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and see, he said. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying, and they remained with him for the rest of the day. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard what John said and followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother, Simon, and told him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Then John brought Simon to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, Your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Come, follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida. Andrew and Peter's hometown. Philip went to look for Nathanael and told him, We have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathanael, Can anything good come from Nazareth? Come and see for yourself, Peter replied. As they approached, Jesus said, Now here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. How do you know about me? Nathanael asked. Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Peter found you, before Philip found you. When Nathanael exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. Jesus asked, do you believe this just because I told you I had seen you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. Then he said, I tell you the truth. You will all see heaven open and the angels of God going up and down on the son of man and the one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. Wayne, if you'd like to come and teach. Thank you, Janelle. I would appreciate your reading. Good morning, everybody. Great to see you. Quite a different experience this week for all of us, because none of you were here last week, except, except a very few of us. So I spoke to an empty gathering, and hopefully you joined us on, online. And so welcome to the people that are... Joining us online, it's great to have all of you, whether you're here in person or online. Who's happy today? Who's grumpy? Who left grumpy at home? (laughs) So a few hands went up. (laughs) Okay, this is a a recap and a continuation of last week's message. And uh, we're talking about making disciple makers. And uh, I'm going to recap some of last week. And I am going to do it in a way that for some of you, it will be new because you haven't actually watched it. You, You weren't here and you haven't watched it. For those of you that watched it, hopefully it'll be go a little deeper into you. Uh, and more of uh, understanding, you'll be thinking about, yes, I need to implement this in my life and this is how I can go about it. And then after I've uh, wrapped up, 
which won't go as long as last week, by the way, but uh, we'll give, uh, Julie will be coming up and just unpacking some of how we, some of the plans that we've got this year of how we're going to implement this in New Life Church. Okay, here we go. You ready? In 2017, what happened to the New Life Church mission statement? Got tweaked. Well done. Thank you for the person that said that. Yes, it was tweaked and we made it to say, make disciple makers, as is up on the screen there, as you can see. And we talked about the fact that this isn't something new. This isn't something new for new life. This isn't something new for the church at all, because it was actually given by Jesus to his very first disciples. I used the metaphor of a graduating class. It was like a graduating speech. Uh, just before he ascended and he spoke to them up in Galilee and Matthew, 20, Matthew records it and he says, to, what Jesus said to this group, his graduating class of year, I'm not sure, 1 AD, somewhere around that, he said, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. That's a powerful statement in and of itself. If you've not ever thought about that, have a think about that. A man... Standing in front of you, he says, I actually have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Always remember, this is a segue, in case of you not tracking it. Always remember that all authority on earth is delegated authority and it all is subservient and will bow the knee to Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate authority. We all bow our knee to Jesus and we call him Lord because he is. Because as the resurrected one in whom all the fullness of God dwells, we bow before him. There's no name above his name. There's no authority greater than Jesus' authority. Every human authority, every demonic authority comes under Jesus He's very clear about that. So he speaks to them and he's standing there. He's reminding them of who he is. He's standing. Remember, he's not. He's standing in his resurrected glory. I'm looking forward to a resurrected glory. I'm looking forward to a resurrected body that doesn't uh, decay, that doesn't wear out, that doesn't age, that doesn't get sick, all of these kind of things. So Jesus is standing before them as the resurrected one. So you try to capture... In your own minds, as much as you're able to, using your imagination, here is the first, the firstborn to rise from the dead, John says. John in Revelation chapter 1. This one is standing before this group, this graduating class, a mixture of, of men, of different um, you know, educational backgrounds, I'll put it like that. He says... I've been given all authority in heaven on earth. When a resurrected man looks at you and says that, you're going to believe him. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. Or as you are going, as you are going about your life, in in all that you do, make it your purpose, make it your focus to make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. In that word, of course, baptizing means immersing. Little segue again. Resurrection Sundays on the calendar this year. Probably not a surprise to you. Anyone shocked by that news? 
There's a Sunday designated Resurrection Sunday. It's coming up in April. If you haven't been baptised, if you haven't been immersed in the name of the Father, Son and Spirit, make a note, talk to someone today, talk to one of the staff about that today and we'll uh, get you sorted for that, get you prepped for that. So Jesus says you you immerse them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Spirit and you teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. That's the crux of the matter everybody being a disciple doesn't matter how old you are how young you are being a disciple is about obeying Jesus full stop not obeying Jesus not a disciple right now we substitute we've got some some mixed up language in our culture because the first some of the earliest disciples of Jesus were called Christ-likeians Christ-likeians, that's what it means, Christ-like ones, followers of the way of Jesus. And we've abbreviated it to be Christian and we've used that word in all sorts of ways in our culture. But can I say you should not be calling yourself a Christian, a Christ-like one, if you are not obeying Jesus. The Bible doesn't let that happen. We let it happen. You know, you can go to church, you can go to a Christian school, you can work in a Christian organisation, you can call yourself a Christian. But from the Bible's perspective, from this great commission that Jesus gives, it is when you are obeying Jesus, then you are a Christ-like one, then you are a disciple. I want to really drive that point home. You probably got that. I wanted to drive it home. It's obedience. If you are not obeying Jesus in everything, in everything. And if you want to know what, Je- how, what Jesus thinks about things, you immerse yourself in reading Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Once, you've under- once you're obeying everything in- that he says in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, then you can spread out through the other uh, books, the other 62 books of the scriptures. And you can start to record the thousands of things that we are to obey. The one and other commands in scripture, for example, is another one. Doing money God's way is one of these ones. It's about obedience, everybody. And so Jesus says, as you are going and you are teaching these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you, he says, in that context, I'm with you to the end of the age. And so even that is a prophetic declaration. There's an appointed end of this age in which we're living in. Things won't just continue to be as I've always been. One of the things I'm thankful for, for the the last 12 months, is the awakening that we are not going to keep going on in the way we are. Life has been very disrupted, which is what God said in the prophet Haggai, and it's recorded again in the book of Hebrews, that God said, I am going to shake everything that can be shaken so that what is eternal will last. So Jesus is speaking even at this graduation moment and he's reminding his disciples, there's a day coming. There's the end of the age is in sight. I will be back, he said. And he didn't do it with an Austrian accent. 
And we celebrated and we remembered this at the very opening of our celebration today that we, we take those representatives of Jesus' body and blood. We will do that until he comes. And when he comes, we'll join with him in the marriage supper of the Lamb, the great and glorious wedding feast. God is preparing a wedding for his son and he's preparing a bride. And who's the bride? Some of you. All who are in Christ are part of that bride that's going to sit at that table, that's going to wear robes of righteousness based on Jesus, not us. Our trust is in him. He is the one that cleanses us. And in response to that, we bow the knee and say, Jesus, you are Lord. I will obey you in everything. I bring every area of my life into you. So last week we talked about the fact that uh, the, I used um, Eugene Peterson's analogy from his book on discipleship, a long obedience in the same direction. We talked about what? What were the? T- I used a few words about from that book. Remember, are you a Christian something or a tourist? Yes. So he said that in this Western. Culture, this doesn't happen in places like Iran. The Christians in Iran are not captured by a tourist mindset. Our brothers and sisters that are suffering all around the world, they're not captured. It's only in the affluent West where we can, we can afford, if you like, to be a Christian tourist. In other words, we turn up at Christian events for the sights, if we want to hear the speaker, all these kinds of things. That's the capturing of a tourist mindset in the church. But we're meant to be disciples, not tourists. There's no such thing. You read your Bible, you won't find Christian tourist. You'll find the words disciple and you find the word pilgrim. And pilgrim is that word of I'm on this journey and and I'm on this journey. I'm following Jesus. I'm obeying Jesus and everything and he's leading me because Jesus is the way. Remember, he used that as a description about himself. John 14, verse 6. So we want to live. We want to understand as a disciple, we are apprentices and Jesus is our master. And we understand we're pilgrims. So we are journeying to our eternal home, which is God himself. Enjoying him forever. Let me say this. Where this is going is to end up in the house of the Lord, delighting yourself and gazing on his perfections, delighting yourself in him and gazing on his perfections, in enjoying God for all eternity. So here's a little question to ask yourself. Are you learning to do that now? You can't see him now, so it's a different dynamic. But it's this thing of... Do you understand that he enjoys you, firstly, which is you go, oh, that's awesome. God enjoys me. Everyone loves that bit, right? We'll go, oh, God loves, God, God loves me. Yes, he does. God enjoys me. Yes, he does. But do you love him? And is that love demonstrated by obedience? And do you enjoy him? Is it your delight to come into his presence is it your delight to meet with him at home? Is it your delight to come into the prayer room, to be with him and gaze on him? Is it your delight to come here this morning to do that? Is he your delight? Do you enjoy him? Because that's where it's going. And if the answer to that is no, don't beat yourself up 
Don't go, oh, you know, all that. Don't, don't do that. Just breathe a prayer and say, Holy Spirit, help me become someone who enjoys God. That's all you've got to do. And you just keep bringing yourself and you keep posturing yourself and you say, God, I want to learn to enjoy you. Please help me. I want to enjoy reading the Bible. Please help me. I want to enjoy praying. Please help me. I want all of my life to be an expression of worship to you. Please help me. God loves those prayers. He answers those prayers. So we are moving in this process. We are disciples and pilgrims. And love these phrases from, that we read from John 1 this morning, these descriptions of Jesus, these things that we, and I encourage you, underline or, underline or highlight them in your Bible. Uh, the description of Jesus, because they're so, they're so pregnant. You can spend a, a whole day really researching what each of these phrases mean. The Lamb of God is pregnant with all sorts of uh, biblical imagery. So you can search that out. I, when I say search it out, I'm assuming you know how to use a Bible search thing. So just in case you don't. Uh, I've got a really thick book. It literally is about this thick on my bookshelf at home. It's about yay big. And it's called an exhaustive concordance. It's really good for working out, for weightlifting. You can see I haven't been using it much recently. Um, but in, in that was I could find every single word in the Bible, even the ands and the twos and the thats. Right, I could find, look up, where does the word the occur? Oh, oh, it's a long, you know, right? Now, you don't have to get a big heavy book. You've got computers. There are search engines. There are things like, you might want to write this down if you don't know them, BibleGateway.com, Blue Letter Bible. Blue Letter Bible is great because it enables you to look up, a, look up a verse and then you can look up, it'll take you to a Hebrew or Greek interlinear you can, so you can become a student of Hebrew and Greek. Not that you want to, but you can cross-check, you can look, it'll help you do all these things. These are tools. All I'm saying is these are tools. So when I say search out what it means, the Lamb of God, you can go to one of these websites, you can put in the Lamb of God, and you can find every occurrence where it's referencing this. Now, we're going to spend a few weeks dealing with the Lamb of God, in particular as we lead up to Passover. But you can study all that. You can look up, what does the word Messiah mean? How is it used? How is it, what are the earliest times, that the first times that it's used? Where are all the Messianic references in the Bible? You can do that as well. The one that Moses and the prophets wrote about was one of the descriptions in John 1. So you can go and you can find these things out. You can use these things. The Son of God, the King of Israel. See, the great story of the Bible is not so much... Let me say, I want to be really careful how I say this. The story of the Bible is a journey of how God created the heavens and the earth and he was king and humans said, God will take the world, we don't want you. 
And so, in essence, God left the planet. This is a very truncated version of the Bible, right? But, but he is return- the rest of the story is how God returns as king. And how right at the very end, as there'll, be, there'll be this great clash between the people who want God to be king and the people who don't want God to be king. And I tell you, you better make sure you know which camp you're going to be in. Because there's going to be all sorts of pressures in that day to join, to conform. The culture is going to form you. So join our team that says, no, we don't want God to be king and we're going to wage war against him. Let me tell you, that side does not end well. You don't want to be on that team. You really don't want to be. You want to be on the team that says, come, Jesus. We want you to be king. We want you to rule. We want your righteous reign. We want you as king. So, these are great descriptions of Jesus in John chapter 1. Encourage you. Fight, research, work your way through. Use those tools that I mentioned. Okay, so the definition of disciple-making that I unpacked last week is that disciple-making is a voluntary relational process where someone intentionally helps another person who is curious and motivated to know and obey Jesus Christ more. And I unpacked that. So just very quickly to recap, we said it's a voluntary process. In other words, a person has to be willing to engage in this. You can't coerce someone to become a disciple. Uh, I can help you become a disciple, but I, if you don't want that, I'm not, gonna, I'm not getting on board with that. I'm not going to force you into that. It's a relational process. It, it means it has a relationship. We see that from the readings that we read in John 1 and the ones we read in Mark last week, is that the disciples were with Jesus for three years. It's a time-consuming process. It's not a... Here's a bottle of discipleship. Take one a day. Take these pills home. Take one a day and you'll be a disciple. It's not that. It's a relational process. It's time consuming. And can I say, as a disciple maker, it's frustrating at times. Because you pour yourself into someone and then they turn and go, no thanks. But there are others who say, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And they're curious and they're motivated. They say, please, I want to know Jesus more. I want to obey Jesus more. Please help me. And they beg you. And they do. And yet they come and you open the scriptures with them and you read the scriptures together and they take it away and they obey. And they come back and they tell you, I obeyed Jesus. I obeyed what we we read in the scriptures. I obeyed that and this is what happens. And they come back and they want more. And so an appetite increases. Let me tell you, the appetite for obedience to Jesus increases as you obey him. If you don't have an appetite to obey Jesus, I would suggest to you, it's because you have been disobeying him or apathetic towards him, and you have not been cultivating your appetite to obey him. So this relationship process, whereby someone who's curious and they're motivated, and this is what you want to be looking for. As you're in going, remember Jesus said, as you go into the world, so as you're going about your daily daily engagement with people, 
Sometimes you're engaging with people at work. Sometimes it's in other places. It's here at at the school. You're dropping your kids off at school. You're engaging. You're having conversations. Anytime someone who you know is not a disciple of Jesus, but they express to you curiosity and motivation, you know, maybe they come, maybe you invite them to something and they come, or maybe they just come up to you and say, you, you go to that church that meets here. Can you tell me about that? You want to be going ding, 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 right? That's like the clue, right? Ought to be bells going off in your brain. Okay, this is someone who's curious and they're asking me questions. Let's see where this will go. So then you can go, you can say to them, hey, what about we catch up for coffee? Those of you that drink coffee or tea, if you drink tea, or some other beverage, you choose. Okay, and you say, I will bring my Bible and we can read it together. If you haven't got a Bible, I'll help you get one. So pay attention. That's all I'm saying. Be on the alert for people who are curious and motivated and asking you. Now, that's one type of curiosity and motivation is because they come and ask you, but there's another sort as well where you, uh, proverbially speaking, uh, you throw your, uh, you bait your hook and you throw it in. In other words, you see if there's a curiosity and motivation. So you throw away some things towards them. Are you following me? Like you say, oh, yeah, you know, so, so what do you do on Sunday? Well, you, you don't say, well, I woke up. You say, you see, are they curious, motivated? Are they interested? So go, hey, look, one of the best things I did on Sunday was uh, go and join with, be be in my church, heard some great teaching, sang some great songs, you know. See if there's an interest. See if they are curious. So in other words, sometimes they'll take the initiative and they'll ask you because you've already told them. But other times you're going to need to preemptive by giving them something to work with right typically I do this when I'm getting my hair cut you know people ask you what you do if it's someone if it's a new barber or something and you tell them and you see some people go ah the football was good on the weekend (laughs) right that's a clue to me that right at that moment they're not curious they're not motivated what do you do I'm a teacher. What do you teach? I teach people how to obey Jesus. It's good we're having weather and it's glad we don't have masks, right? It doesn't, you know, so these kind of things, you right? But the key is that we're about formation. Uh, I think I'm better fast-tracked through the seven characteristics of disciples that we talked about. So it's a fascination with Jesus under transformation to be like Christ. That's the end game, everybody. One of the saddest things is meeting someone who says they've been a Christian for a long period of time, which could be five years, that anything beyond five is a long period of time, right? But yet, when you engage with them and you have conversation with them, you don't see Jesus. You don't hear Jesus. There's no transformation. So that's a clue that something's gone wrong. Please have a bit of a think about your own life as well. If you can't point to a trail of transformation by the power of the Holy Spirit as you've been obeying Jesus, 
then go back and start again. Don't give up. Just, just say, this is the truth about me. I want to become, I, I need to learn to follow Jesus and obey him so I'm transformed. Because it's obedience to Jesus and everything. We've said enough about that. It's increasing in biblical literacy. And remember, this is not about becoming a biblical scholar. It's simple things like I know how to use an online Bible concordance. I know, I understand a bit more. You know, you just, one of the great things is there's 66 books in the Bible. Okay. What's the shortest one? Jude. Yeah. We'll take, we'll take Jude. What's the longest one? Zah. Yeah. Yeah. In other words, what I'm saying is some of them are a bit, a bit longer to get your handle on. But do you know what? With, uh, with Jude, with some of the shorter letters, like 1st, 2nd and 3rd John, 1st and 2nd Peter, like you could get through them all in one year. Isaiah is probably going to take your lifetime. You're probably going to be in and out of Isaiah for the rest of your life to fully understand what's going on in there with the spirit of wisdom and revelation. But the thing is, have, have, a, have a commitment to a Bible program. Have a commitment to, like, this year I'm going to grow. So using the book of Isaiah, which is a great book, powerful book, wonderful book, and a glorious book full of messianic prophecies and end-time scenarios, into the age and all those kind of things. Say, okay, this year I'm going to invest myself in Isaiah. So you just begin to read it. Uh, one of the best things you can do is read that book 50 times. So once a week, read it. You will have much more understanding. So don't worry if you don't master the Bible in one year. You never will. No one ever has. But you take it chunk by chunk and you say, this year I'm learning this. I'm going to give myself to the study. And, and um, a couple of weeks ago, I encourage you to give yourself this year to Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. To read those 90 chapters, learning the way of Jesus. Okay, so... Increasing biblical literacies, a life characterized by prayer and worship, which is both in, at my home, I pray, at my home I worship, I come to the prayer room, I pray and worship, I come new life, I pray and worship. My life has become characterized by prayer. Prayer is another thing, worship's another thing, to, to give yourself to learn. It's like uh, I've, been on, I've been learning to pray for about longer than you, most of you have been alive, uh, 40 plus years. I've been learning how to pray. I'm still learning how to pray. I'm still learning how to worship, okay? It's a lifelong journey. But I'd say my life is characterized by prayer and worship. I'm, another characteristic is disciple is prepared and longing for Jesus' return. Talked about that earlier. This longing for Jesus' return. And also that I've embraced the possibility of persecution and martyrdom for Christ. That I'm not uh, struck by that when that happens. Jesus said, Matthew 7, this is Sermon on the Mount. He said, the floods are coming. The storms are coming. Your house will stand at that time if you have been obeying me. So we prepare ourselves for that reality. And we live and we function in biblical priestliness. And this is a fancy way of saying we take our identity from what God says. We don't take our identity of who we are by from the culture, from what the culture says about me. Uh, We take our identity. What's my identity? My identity is what God says. So I need to learn and understand that. That's a whole other topic in itself. So Julie's going to come now and give some of the details 
of what this is going to look like is we're going to continue this journey. We're going to continue this thing because our goal, as, as I said last week, our goal is for each of you to become a disciple maker. Grow up to be a disciple maker if you're a teenager. If you're an adult, it's that capacity that you'll have to disciple at least one other person. Thanks, Julie. Thanks, Wayne. So down to the, the practical stuff. What, is this, what does this look like? Um, and as Wayne said, this is the mission of every disciple, of every disciple that we become disciple makers. We've had a couple of great teachings this week and last week to really motivate us. I want to just add a little bit more weight to that, simply to say that in, in 2004, when God spoke uh, to us as a community, he spoke two things. And as we look back, we can, we can this is how it often is with prophetic words, as we look back since that time, we look at the journey we've been on, go, okay, so prepare a place for me. Was, was the word. Wayne and I were on holidays. We were at a, a different church and, and someone came up to us afterward and said, I saw you and this is what I felt the Lord saying, prepare a place for me and I will pour myself in. And secondly, prepare for harvest. Okay. And as we look back, we, we see how vital it has been that God has grown us in prayer, that he's really put that like in us, and, and in our hearts to be a people who are transformed in the presence of God. That's what prayer is, prayer and worship. And that's why that's such a, a value and something that we've invested so strongly. And at this time, in a similar way, there's, we have um, really probably, uh, particularly over the last three years, but with this crossroads, you know, stopping and taking stock, we felt like the Lord say, you need to sharpen up in this area. You need to be intentional. You need to prepare for the harvest. Because if people are going to come in, now that's the Lord's work, right? That's the work of the Holy Spirit. He's the one who softens the heart, but we scatter the seed, don't we? You know, the Holy Spirit doesn't walk around with a of seed. No, he says, you open your mouth and you scatter the seed. You be the ones. You be my hands and feet. You host my love, right? He prepares and he brings people into our orbit, into our sphere of influence. So we are longing for new life in a similar way that the Holy Spirit empowered us to establish a culture of prayer, to really value and to love that in this community we now believe that God is wanting to establish us as disciple makers, right? Disciple makers, disciple making disciples. So what's the how? Really quickly, this is, this is, this is going to be quite simple. Um, we, we're going to keep it simple. It needs to be simple. Anything that multiplies quickly is simple, right? If it's too complex, it, uh, we, we get bogged down. So this year... We just want to, again, the word tweak is a good word. We just want to tweak a few things because it's not like this is not being important to us in new life, making disciples. It has, and we've talked about it a lot. We just want to shape it now a bit that we can actually get, get our hands on it. So this year, and this will be, we'll be launching this, um, this simple process, this simple tweaking 
um, this simple application in term two um, because we recognize that there is a need to prepare for us to be praying about this, uh, for each person to be contemplating their, their involvement, etc. But there's three sort of three things I want to just say real quickly. I'll, I'll explain. So D1 group, D1 cluster, D1 pastor. Okay? Got that? Can we say it together? D1 group, D1 cluster, D1 pastor. Really simple. So a disciple one group... Um, uh, Judy Fleming, would you just come up here a minute, please? Yeah. Disciple one group. I say, hey, Judy, um, we've, known, we've known Jesus. Uh, in fact, I've known you for a long time. In fact, I remember when your boys were born, so come here. <laughs> um, we've known each other for a long time, and it would be cool if we could just meet together, you know, like once a week or once a fortnight. But, like, do you know anybody... In, in your orbit that is like asking questions and really wants to know Jesus? Yes. You do. Excellent. So, um, well, I do too, but we could start with your person, okay? So let's, let, let's ask them, why don't we get together and let's study like something like um, John or Acts. Or we'll, we'll do Matthew, Luke and Mark as well because the pastor said so. But, you know, we'll start and we'll, we'll start in a book of the Bible and we'll just invite them to come and, and, you know, we can share together, we can pray together and we can, like, introduce this person just by meeting together, like, for once a week. And I think that would be great. So can you just stay here? Like, you just get on the phone and, and make that phone call. And then over here, um, let's have um, uh, Keenan. Keenan, just come this way. Okay, so Keenan, I haven't known you a long time, so you're going to have to pick another friend. Um, <laughs> uh, is there somebody out there that, like, you could, you know, who knows Jesus, and then you could, like, form a cluster of three or maybe four? Yeah. Yes. 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 Okay, and meet once a week or once a fortnight, right? Just whatever works and study something together. Yeah? yeah. Excellent. Okay, so we've got two groups here. Now... What we want to do, when we get three or more clusters, maybe three clusters, we, we, we want to, um, sorry, D1 groups, we want to uh, form a cluster and we want a D1 pastor, like someone who's, really, you know, who's good at pastoral care, like they're just always there caring for you. So Johannes, could you just come here? Um, we want Johannes to um, kind of, you know, with Lissy actually, Okay, Lissy, come here. So we want these guys, um, and, and you can form another cluster, but we want these guys to kind of oversight because Judy's going to lead this group and, and Keenan's going to lead this group. So Johannes, you're going to be going, hey, is that okay? Do you have the resources you need? Yeah, you're all good. And why don't we get our groups together once a term, like have a meal together and just have the feast and just get to know each other. Thanks, everyone. There you go. That's it. Is that simple? Yeah, really simple. Really simple. We are going to have some training, you know, because it's always a good thing to have training, right? Um, but that was pretty simple. So we might just, we might just have one session, and, and we'll be publicizing that date this week. 
where if you're like, oh, I could do that. I've got friends at uni. I've got whatever. You know, it doesn't matter. There's no, there's no barrier. It could be high school students. It could be, you know, people at your work. It, it doesn't matter. Okay? It just matters that we give ourselves, that we give ourselves to the Great Commission because that's what we're talking about, right? That's part of loving and obeying Jesus it doesn't matter if there's two people in the group or three people or four people. Beyond that, we're looking to multiply, okay? So this small, real small opportunity for some bigger connection, maybe once a, once a term or whatever the group decides. There'll be some pastoral oversight of those groups to encourage you and equip you. Do you think we can do this? So some of you are thinking, well, I've already joined Watchmen. I've already joined Wednesday Women. And that's okay because it dovetails into all of that. Now, if, you, if you're, you're super keen, you could meet weekly and do one of those groups. Or you might go, well, I'm in that group, so I want to do fortnightly with my smaller group and fortnightly with the big group, which is what is actually happening with the Wednesday morning group and the Monday night watchmen, is that in term two, we're moving to fortnightly big groups so that we can make space for the small groups to thrive. Okay? In the training, we'll, we'll talk about resources. We'll talk about, you know, just give you basically whatever. It's, you can have, we'll, we'll answer questions. But it's simple but, you know, it's when I always think of that time when Jesus <laughs> was watching the disciples catch nothing. You remember that time? How frustrating for fishermen to catch nothing. Right, Tony? Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and I mean, it's such a bizarre story, right, Tony? Because he's like, just throw the net on the other side. I mean, has it ever happened to you? Just like, no, nah. throw the net on the other side. But because Jesus said at that moment, throw the net on the other side, and they did it probably muttering, he's not a fisherman, <sighs> threw it on the other side, wow. You see, because when Jesus leads it, when Jesus says, when Jesus directs, doesn't matter what it is, fish or whatever, you know, we follow him. We just, we follow his lead. And that's what we're doing. We're following his lead. And some of you are going to be like, I need to be in one of those groups. And others of you are going to be like, I really want to lead one of those groups. And, another one, and others of you are going to be going, I need to attach myself to a group because I've got a friend to bring. Right? doesn't matter where you're at. There's a place for you, even if it's just at this moment, to meet with two or three others to study God's word, right? And to pray. Do you know, we don't know what this year holds. <laughs> no, we say that now and people listen. <laughs> you said that two years ago. Well, people don't really listen that much. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. We don't know what this year holds. And we don't know what restrictions will be put upon us, right? We don't. But when we've got a group that we can relate to, a small group, little groups, two and three, four, can meet in homes usually, even if we're shut down here or shut down at the prayer room, right? So we need to become creative and flexible. And Jesus always had the plan right from the get-go. That plan was going to see them through persecution, hardship, trials, troubles. He's got the same plan. Wayne was talking about biblical, biblical literacy and uh, I just wanted to encourage you about biblical literacy this morning just before we close.
I threw a challenge out to Ezra. Ezra, can you come here for a minute? I threw a challenge out to Ezra um, about three weeks ago. Um, and um, do you want to take the hoodie off so we can see you? And that's all. That's Ezra. Come this way. And and I said, Ezra, do you reckon you could learn all the books of the Old Testament and memorize them, so you don't have to have those tabs in your Bible? And what did you say? Yes. Okay. Okay. Well, the very next Sunday, seven days later, Ezra came to me. Would you just say them again for me? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Well done, Ezra. And I put that challenge out to all of us. Yes? Take those tabs out of your Bible. How many of you? You've known Jesus for a long time and you've still got those tabs in your Bible. Okay, you too can do this. Um, And he's working on the New Testament um, as well. So, you know, we can do this, right? That's just to prove that point. We can do this. We can do this. Nothing is too difficult. And the Holy Spirit is right there, ready and willing to help us. Let's have the worship team. Let's stand together. Please be in prayer. Like I said, we've deliberately delayed the launch of this. Um, you know, we'll be, we'll be saying some more things, but it's simple. But do you know, you know what's the hardest thing for us? I've said this before. The hardest thing for us is to clear space in our lives. The hardest thing for us to become uncluttered, undistracted, and to give God the time and the space. Even that one hour. Isn't it true? Unfortunately, that points to a heart issue. Because we all know that what we value, we create time for. So we need Jesus to come and burn in our hearts fresh fire, fresh flame, new love. Awaken our hearts to love him. And obey him. Amen.